this is Tony Speaks and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. As a public school teacher, Rachel Levy keeps in mind that every student of hers is someone's child and every student is worthy of respect and dignity. She cares about her students and their learning unconditionally. She keeps in mind that she serves the public and that she is tasked with the sacred responsibility of educating the children of the public. And that encapsulates her approach to public service. Rachel is the proud daughter of two civil rights lawyers. She was born with this sense of sacred responsibility. Rachel was raised to be civically engaged and to be a contributor. They raised her to vote in every election and to pitch in when it counts, help out and use her advantages to help everyone around her. And after graduating from Wesleyan University, Rachel felt that sense of civic engagement when she decided to become a public school teacher. Preserving and improving public education became her life's work. And it was that sense of sacred responsibility that drove her to get her doctorate in educational leadership and policy at VCU and to return to the classroom so she would never forget what it is to be on the receiving end of the policies that are created. But with all of that in mind, this week, Dr. Rachel Levy is becoming disciplined. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Dr. Rachel Levy. Dr. Levy, welcome to Becoming Disciplined. We are so honored to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Now for my audience, Dr. Levy is a community activist and educator who is embarking upon a new endeavor here in Virginia. But Dr. Levy, before we hear about your current endeavors, it would benefit our audience to understand your context. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Washington, D.C., in the city, uh, in a little uh, neighborhood called Berlin. Okay. Now, what was your childhood like? Would you call it conventional, unconventional? I mean, you know, in some ways for a kid who grew up in the 70s and 80s, it was conventional. I was very independent. Um, I took the metro bus by myself frequently. Um, you know, my sister and I and our friends would um, walk um, walk places on our own and explore the neighborhood. I would say it was unconventional in some ways. I didn't know it was unconventional until I got older in that. Um, so I grew up, um, as I said, in D.C. My parents were civil rights lawyers. My father for the government. He worked for the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare until it got split up. And my mother worked um, mostly in private practice. And they sent us to D.C. public schools. Um, and my neighborhood was majority white, but the schools that I went to were majority black and, and other people of color. And most of my teachers, my principals, my counselors, um, the superintendent, and then like the city council people, school board members, they were almost all black. And I thought that's the way the world was mm. uh, for a long time. And you know, it took me slowly over time. You, you do pick up on things when you leave D.C. and go to other places, right? Even if just to the suburbs. But it took me until actually living here 
to really realize that that's not <laughs> the way the world is. So, sure. you know, it made me less racist, sure. but it made me more naive mm. about racial justice in progress. Mm. That's powerful. That's powerful. Now, when you were a child, since this podcast kind of focuses on discipline, was there someone who inspired you as a young child with their level of discipline? I'll just say, my, you know, my parents. My mother had um, a PhD in linguistics, which she got before I was born. I think before she, she met my father when he was in law school at the University of Michigan and she was in graduate school. And then when she moved to DC, she watched what my father was doing and got really interested. And she had always been an activist herself. Um, and she decided, hey, I want to do that too. So she uh, started law school actually when I was born. I was born in July and she started law school that August or September. Wow. And she is very good at staying completely focused on whatever it is that she's engaged in or interested in. Mm. Um, and I'd say my father, um, was disciplined in terms of like his taking care of himself, his health and his diet and his uh, care for his children and also his responsibility, his sense of responsibility, like always, you know, keeping the same job um, and um, sticking it out sometimes when it wasn't, you know, the best situation. So I think my parents taught me a lot about this. <laughs> That's good. That is good. That is good. When did you fall in love with political science or civics? You know, it wasn't until I was older. So when I, my parents were very civically and politically active. Um, they took us to vote. You know, you always vote. And they were involved in local affairs and matters and in, in their community. They were contributors, contributors in our community. Um, but it wasn't until... I became a teacher and I started wondering, you know, I had a master's degree, but my master's degree in, uh, was in education, but we learned history of the American education system, but we really didn't learn that much about politics and policy. But so when I was a teacher and I started to wonder what are, what, where did these policies come from? And that's dictating my practice um, and how I teach, um, you know, how we assess students, et cetera. And I got very interested um, in politics and policy that way. And then when we moved here, um, which was in 2009, um, or when, the, when the Tea Party took over the Board of Supervisors here and then gradually over the school board, because we have staggered appointments here in Hanover, I got really interested in local politics. I got really active and I started going to school board meetings and board of supervisors meetings, and I was just hooked. Like, I don't have the time now to go to all of those meetings um, or to watch all of them, but it's like the best TV ever for me. I, I love watching local uh, school board and board of supervisors meetings. I find them fascinating. Um, so that's how I got hooked with that. And also your local government and your state government to impact your day-to-day -day life the most. Um, and then also as a, as a doctoral student, um, I studied, you know, which kind of built on that experience of observing and then, you know, trying to influence and, and, and commenting and being an activist at the local level. But politics of education is my main 
um, area research interest uh, as a as a doctoral student. So that's how it came about. Now uh, you you're you're always so well spoken. Were you a skilled orator in high school, or were you on the debate team? How did you? No, not at all. And just like you know, politics. I didn't get involved in politics, even though I always voted. I was much more into the into like sports and theater mm. and writing. Um, it's the same same thing. Like it's actually taken a lot of work. I'm I'm flattered that you say I'm a good speaker because it's taken an incredible amount of work for me sure. to do that. Writing came much more easily to me. I would say though, having the the theater training. And experiences I did as a child and growing up helped. Being a teacher helps a lot, a classroom teacher. And then um, when I was getting my doctorate, I had to learn how to present and talk about my work mm -hmm. or other people's work or research um, in a way that was um, um, that people could digest and people could understand. So the, the other place where I had a lot of practice was speaking at Board of Supervisors and School Board meetings because you have three minutes or five minutes sometimes or six minutes sometimes. And I speak pretty slowly and deliberately. So I had to find a way to say everything I wanted to say for people to listen and say it in the time I had. So that was also very good training. But I've had to work incredibly hard at, at my public speaking. Also, I have, I've had to do that as well for the three minutes. and. Those three minutes yes. are a real constraint for a preacher. So. And one more, yeah, and that's, I mean, you can learn, this is what I was, one more thing I was going to say is so, like, as a writer, when you want to become a better writer, you got to read. Mm. you got to read a lot. And so one way that I became a better orator or speaker was I learned to be a better listener, sure. which is not a strength of mine. Whether it's listening in conversation and then being able to take what's on the minds of people um, or feedback from people and apply it, but also listening to other people engage in public speaking or listening to podcasts or listening to radio shows. Listening to other people who are good speakers has helped me to become a better, a better orator. Awesome, awesome. Now we time travel on this podcast, mm -hmm. so we're gonna we're gonna uh, uh, time travel to speak to fifteen-year-old Rachel Levy. And you can't you can't shake her, you can't touch her, but the only thing you can do is is whisper a sentence into her ear. Okay, so so what do you warn a fifteen year old Rachel Levy about? What what do you tell her? Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have a hard time saying that in one sentence. But I would say, um, you know that pers in a personal way that. Like love doesn't have to be a roller coaster mm -hmm. to um, be true or or be real. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would tell fifteen year old Rachel, and I would also tell her to um, pay more attention to her studies and to doing um, meaningful activities, mm -hmm. um, and just do more. Take advantage of learning experiences that are out there. And by learning experience, I don't just mean school. I mean, you know, out in the world. Sure. Now, uh, as an educator, you've seen, uh, you've been into homes and seen people who, kids who did not necessarily have the best study habits, and you've made it to the PhD level, where obviously somewhere along the line, you've developed incredible study habits. What study habits 
do you recommend for someone who might be a young person that is watching this podcast and, and they're making C's and D's and they want to step up their game to B's and A's? What study habits would you recommend for them? Well, I, would, I did not have the greatest study habits until about my junior year of college. Um, and because my junior year of college, I spent in France and I was taking all my classes or most of them at the French university. And so everything I was reading and writing and, and discussing in class was in French. And so what I learned to do was um, to do things in advance, start them in advance and do a, and, and do a little bit at a time and not procrastinate okay. and really plan out. The, um, the other thing I learned is that in France, they have limited hours, like when the library is open, sure. right? It's not open 24-7, like when you're, like my college's library was. And so I had to be very, um, I had to go to the library when it was open. So that also taught me to get down to business and use my time wisely when I had it. Um, and then on the weekends or in the evenings to, to relax more. Wow. So kind of like the three minutes uh, speaking, sometimes constraint can actually be a blessing. Yes. And so I, I learned not to be a procrastinator. Mm. I learned to, if something was hanging over me, get it started. Mm. But also not to spend, give me like a window of time in which to do it. Okay. Well, let's time travel one more time. Okay. Let's time travel one time. We're going to fast forward a little bit. And now you get to walk into the either the labor and delivery room or the birthing room, uh, wherever you uh, gave birth to your first baby. And uh, that baby is laying on your chest and you're just happy because the baby's there. But what would you what would you whisper to that to that mother to help her along the way? So this is a complicated question because my first birth was twins. Mm. I have maternal twin boys. <laughs> and I got I was very sick, but I didn't know it. Mm. And so, and they were premature also. And I knew that there was a good chance they would be premature because that's what happens with twins. And I didn't even find out about the that I was pregnant with twins until halfway through the pregnancy. Wow. Um, and so I would tell myself, because I, I was sick enough, what I had was very rare, but it was fatal in a high percentage of cases. Mm. And so what I would have told myself was, you're going to be okay, and um, your boys are going to be okay, and you need to take care of yourself. Um, because I, like there was, I, and they didn't know until like a day or two until after I had given birth that I, how sick I was. Mm. And so once they knew how serious it was, I was very scared mm. and they that there was one night in particular where they had to wake they woke me up every hour and they asked me my name mm. uh, and which I didn't like because right, <laughs> I right, thought right. it was patronizing like I know my name right but right. Um, I'm not the best patient but they <laughs> you know and I I didn't I hadn't slept for like two days and I hadn't slept well in a really long time mm. um, so I did not, I was afraid to go to sleep mm. because I thought I might not wake up. Wow. Wow. And so I, I told God that if you, if you let me live through this yeah. and you uh, let me be a mother to these boys, um, I will be the best mother I can. Mm -hmm. I won't be absent and I will take the best care of them that I can. Um, which was, 
meant like I had a great bond with them and that I really appreciated the opportunity to be a mother. Sure. But it also meant that I had this unaddressed trauma that I didn't deal with. Sure. And that there were times when they would have been okay with like less feuding or they would have been okay with more crying. Sure. But sure. I had this um, sense, you know, this sense of responsibility that was and of you know, having this sacred role as a mother that I had a hard time shaping. So I would tell myself, you know, take care of yourself and everyone's going to be okay. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we went through something similar, but it was on the front side of the of having the baby. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we celebrated uh, 20 years of marriage before our first child because of misdiagnoses and illnesses I and things see. like that. So we kind of understand, uh, we understand that. Now, what disciplines do you recommend for educators? Okay, I have a long list of these. Let's see if I can remember. Um, first of all, if you put in a lot of work and time, your first and second years, it will pay off later. You won't have much of a life, but it will pay off later. Um, second of all, always have a plan um, and always communicate to your students that you have a plan. Um, treat your students as if they have agency you know, be vulnerable to your students, apologize um, when you need to. Um, and I would say if you're going to assign something, um, make sure you at least look at it or give them some credit for it. You don't want students to feel that you're giving them stuff to do and it's just going in some hole somewhere mm -hmm. and not coming out. It's very hard to give every piece of work um, every project, every assessment, every classwork assignment, you know, in-depth feedback. That's not realistic, especially when you have like upwards of 150 students, which a lot of secondary teachers like me have, or if you're an elementary school teacher and you're doing all this planning for, you know, five different subjects. But let the students know that, you know, you are, um, they're, not do, they're not working for nothing you know, that you are paying attention to, to what they're doing and you do care about their work. Sure. So that's, that's another thing. And then, you know, forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. Forgive yourself. One last thing with discipline, you know, I said treat students with respect and, is, and, and respect their agency. But also, you're gonna, nobody makes you uh, more emotional or can make you angry like your own children, yeah. right? So there are things that can happen that I'm like, if that were my children, I'd be livid, but these are my students. But still, it's a very intimate, like special relationship between students and teachers. And sometimes things are going to happen that are going to make you feel emotional or make you um, feel angry. In those moments, you don't have to address whatever it is in the moment. You can tell yourself and tell the student you know, I don't really like what just happened, but I need some time to sit with it, and then we're going to revisit it later. Mm -hmm. It's much better um, to do that than to act rashly and do something that will damage your relationship with with the student. I would have loved you. Just <laughs> so you know that. I, I hope so. <laughs> with your exhausting schedule, how do you find the time for both fitness and health? That is tough. That is tough. I've always been, with the fitness, I've always been an athlete. So that's always been part of my life. Now, I don't, I don't play sports anymore. 
Um, and I don't like my husband, he is a, a very talented athlete and he misses it. And he feels like as he's hit middle age, he feels, you know, it's disappointing for him that his, he can't do the same things or be as quick as he used to be. Whereas for me, I feel like that part of my life, I spent a lot of time in my life on that and that's done and I'm okay with that. But I still have to exercise um, just for my own physical and mental health. So that sometimes can go out the window. I try to, you know, I belong to the Y, I run. Um, I try to take, you know, I'll take classes at the Y sometimes, but at the very least I run because I can control what time I do that. I can go for shorter or longer periods of time. Um, in terms of healthy eating, that's a little easier. Um, I'm a teacher. I don't have a lot of time to eat at work. And so I try to pack, you know, I know whatever I pack is, and also we can't go out somewhere, especially where I teach, it's in a rural area. So I try to pack healthy things because then that's what I have. And also I can't, as I've gotten older, I can't, I love eating and I can't eat as much as I used to. Right. So I try to make whatever I eat count in terms of being healthy and also tasty. Um, and then, um, another piece of it is, um, sleep. Sleep is very important and that's another challenging piece of this. Um, when I'm, the summer is okay because I'm just working full time on the campaign, but during the school year, it's tough. It's tough to, to do everything the way I want to do it. I have very high standards and as well as I want to do it and then get that amount of sleep that I need to perform the way I should. Sure. So that's, I need to, I need to try to like, just cut things off at a certain time and go to bed. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I understand that. For our audio only listeners, we have a paid ad for the next one minute and 33 seconds. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Whatever time it is in your time zone. At least on my time, it's it's after church, and I don't know about you. Sometimes after church, I'm just lacking energy. Courtney, yes. Can you get me? Can you get me a uh, one of the vitamins that your mama takes? Here you go, Daddy. Mm. Let me try one of these. Tastes pretty good. My God, my God, Q! What do you have in there? It's made with vitamins B9 and B12. It's it's great for my overall health. It's made with pectin, a unique fiber in fruit peels. It's simple and delicious. Kim, did you know that more people search apple cider vinegar in the U.S. than tea? Google has 15,000 people searching that word every day in the U.S. alone. Kim, how can more people get this gummy? If you want to support the podcast, or if you're looking to improve your health, you can order these gummies at https forward slash forward slash go.goalie.com forward slash becoming disciplined. Don't forget to use our promo code becoming disciplined. Has your faith had upon your commitment to civics and community? So, you know, Judaism is not, is it, I would say Judaism is a democratic religion, right? Um, 
the the God that I know through Judaism is not a dictator. It does, God does not um, tell you what to do. God gives you the tools to to do, if that makes sense, um, and facilities to do things. Um, and so you are responsible for what you do ultimately, not not God. You are responsible for your actions. Um, also, I would say that. So I am white and I am a person of privilege, but being a Jewish person, I am also a religious minority. And there are many times when I am one of the only or the only uh, Jewish person in the room or in my in a social gathering or whatever. And so I try to be gracious and give people the benefit of the doubt in terms of how I interact with people and try to educate people. And then on the other hand, when I am part of a dominant group, I try to remember what that's like mm. to be in the minority, how that feels, um, how to be inclusive, or you know, how would I feel if that were me? So I would say um, that's how that's how my my faith influences me in a small small way about civic um, civics and community. I did speak at my synagogue. Uh, several weeks ago, there was a recording of it, which um, I could share with you, where I talked a lot about um, my faith in Judaism and how that influenced me to be um, involved civically. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Let me explain the context to this question. I'm a Christian, but I've just started to follow many of the Hebrew holy days. How has observing the holy days shaped your life? So Judaism... You know, as you can imagine, Jewish holidays are not part of mainstream American holidays. And in fact, even Hanukkah, the most well-known holiday, is not one of the most important holidays. Um, so I would say you have to you have to choose to observe Jewish holidays. It's not easy. Um, so you have to you have to make a commitment and be deliberate about it. Um, most, if not all, Jewish, Jewish holidays are not materialistic. Um, so that's been kind of a contrast. And then the other thing is I am not good at just following rituals to follow them. Right. And again, remember I said Judaism is a democratic religion, or I experience it as such. And you are supposed to question everything in Judaism. Like you even question the existence of God. So, and at least in Reform Judaism, it's not how you, it's not what you believe that's important, it's how you act. Your actions speak louder than your beliefs. So, um, so I, I have a hard time just going along with rituals and holidays to go along with them. I will, I'm a family person and I will do, you know, what's needed to be done or I'll do um, what, um, what the community wants or, you know what what my what my grandparents want when they were still living, um, but I'm not one to just blindly follow things. And so with Jewish holidays, I've made efforts to make sure that they're meaningful to me. You know, so take what is this holiday is about, and how can I make it meaningful to me, which might not be the conventional or traditional thing that is done. What is your favorite memory from the holy days? Passover seder's. I love Passover seders. They are Passover is a holiday that is mostly celebrated in the home and with family and friends. And again, you know, you can follow the the 
um, Haggadah, you know, the ceremony where you can, people write their own and, but I love the food and I love the ritual and I love being with, uh, with my family. Now, uh, what book outside the Torah do you recommend that has helped you the most upon your life journey? So I will, I will say that the Torah is one of many Jewish books, um, but I am not, the way we put it is learn in, in Jewish culture is learned. I am not a learned, per I'm very educated, but I'm not learned in terms of Jewish texts. Um, so, but coincidentally enough, the, I would say the book that's had the most impact on me is a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. You've heard of it? Yes, he he was, I think, some kind of psychotherapist or psychologist, but I would also say he sounds like a philosopher, and he was a Holocaust survivor, and he talks about how even in the darkest, most difficult times and moments, you can find meaning. Now, he's not saying, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and anyone, you know, he's not, he's not talking about justice. He's not saying we don't need justice. But he talks, it's, it's more about coping and finding meaning um, in your life. And even in the darkest of times, you can find meaning and you can make connections with people. So I would say that book had a huge influence on me. I thought it was powerful. He would think about his uh, students, teaching his students while yes. he was being tortured to get his mind off of the torture. Yes. At Becoming Discipline, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas. Spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, home, and data organization. Which of these do you consider your strongest points? Which are your weakest? And what is an area that you could use some work on? Probably home and data organization are my strongest. I'm very organized, uh, mental discipline as well. I would say spirituality is my weakest. I do not pay enough attention to um, whether it's, you know, like I said, taking the time to meaningfully observe holidays or um, meditating. All of that has been recommended to me and that or even like yoga, things like that. I have the hardest time with that. I have the hardest time with slowing down and um and examining and experiencing my own spirituality okay all right now what's the plan is there a plan <laughs> well it's kind of hard it's kind of hard right now given everything i'm doing i did start taking yoga classes um a while back that kind of stopped during the pandemic. I did some online, but I prefer, I like doing them with other people in a class. And I try to go, again, we just, like my synagogue, we just started going face-to-face -face again. I try to go to at least one service or event a month with or at my synagogue. Okay. So that's another goal that I had but that is, that is definitely, I don't take enough time for that aspect of my life. As a mother, what advice do you have for young professional moms who are balancing work and home responsibilities? So I would say, you know, if you can, try to, try to, um, and we can't always do this. I didn't plan to have two babies at once the first time. <laughs> try to plan, you know, when you're, you're going to have a child. Um, and try to make sure whoever your parenting partner is that you're 
on the same page and that you can work well together and that they will support you. Um, now, they're single parents. My sister is a single mom, um, but she kind of made sure like my parents could help her a certain amount. Um, and then otherwise, I would say establish boundaries, establish professional boundaries and personal boundaries. Um, that's not always easy for me to do. I'm a bit of a workaholic, but I would say that's a, you know, I'm kind of an all or nothing person too. That's a good thing to do and forgive yourself and let yourself, you're gonna, you're gonna be, you're human. You know, you're gonna lose your temper. You're gonna um, get sad. Um, you're gonna, you know, relax some, choose to relax some time when you should have been, uh, working or on top of things, forgive yourself. <laughs> Dr. Levy, what do you have going on this summer and fall of 2021? So I am in the middle of running for the Virginia House of Delegates in the 55th district. I declared my candidacy on January 7th and I've been going ever since. This summer I've been working full time on the campaign, um, but I'm also you know, a mother of three. I'm a full time public school teacher. And so that was a lot to balance in the spring, and it will be again in the fall, but I'm going to do what I can to do that. And I know that a lot of my um, constitu you know, future constituents, and as a teacher, a lot of my students have to balance a lot. And so that will help me understand better, um, you know, that'll help me to be a better teacher, but also to be a better representative. For someone who is thinking about running for office, mm -hmm. what advice would you give them if you could time travel to the day before they declare? Uh, what, what what advice now that you're mm -hmm. in the thick of it and mm -hmm. you know you you've been you you're time and tested now? What mm -hmm. what advice would you give to a young person or a person that's about mm -hmm. to start running? Make sure that your family and your partner and your you know whatever your roommates. Uh, people you're close to are on board and supportive, and I'm so lucky to have that. Um, make sure that you're ready to be a public official, even though you're a candidate. You know, like you're going to be in public, and you're going to have to speak in public, and your views and your life will be public, and you have to be prepared for that. Um, hire a, a great campaign manager as soon as you can. <laughs> that has helped. Uh, tremendously and you have to be prepared to do the work so sometimes I've talked to and I've worked on a lot of campaigns before um, and I've also advised a lot of candidates and and um, elected officials especially on education policy and sometimes I meet people who say I'm running for office X and they've never knocked a door mm -hmm. for another candidate mm -hmm. so they haven't done that work themselves. It's really important that you do the work yourself before for other um, candidates and that you do the work yourself as a candidate because if you're not prepared to um, raise money, if you have to raise money to get out there and talk to voters, to knock doors, then you can't expect other people to do that um, for you. Dr. Levy, we can't thank you enough for coming on. You didn't have to do this. You didn't need to do this. We truly appreciate it. Just to let you know your audience, 
Our audience here is from 30 to 55. I call them the Get Better Club. They're just trying to become better versions of themselves. You have the last word. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Gosh, um, just that I wish, I wish I had the wisdom that I do. I'm in that club, you know, I'm between, I'm in that age group. And I wish I had the wisdom <laughs> that I have now when I was younger. Um, but I guess they say, you know, youth is, is, is wasted on the young. And I, but I would also just say, enjoy it. Enjoy being middle-aged. It's a great place to be. <laughs> we knew that Dr. Rachel Levy would be an awesome guest. And she was. She was everything that we thought that she would be. But we also knew that Dr. Rachel Levy was running for office. The Becoming Disciplined podcast is a non-partisan podcast. However, at the end of every podcast, we let people know what our guests are up to and what they're involved in. If you were touched by anything that Dr. Rachel Levy said and you would like to help her on her endeavors, you can contact her at Rachel Levy for Delegate 55th District. We view this as us just connecting our guests with our audience, uh, but this is not a political endorsement. As always, thank you for tuning in to another podcast, and please remember to subscribe at Becoming Disciplined.